thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Carpe diem. Look at that, eh? Latin fans in the building. Carpe diem, where's everyone know that from? Your school motto? Ian's school motto? Okay. Yeah, I told you last week that Francis loves a quiz. She'll be in there with the answer. Anywhere else, Carpe Diem? Robin Williams. Judy Dench. Well, Dead Poet Society is the, is the most famous one. Carpe Diem, what does it mean? Seize the day. But actually, in uh, Dead Poet Society, in the film where he uses that phrase, he also adds another bit. And he says this, seize the day, make your lives extraordinary. And we are finishing today our series on Elisha. We've been looking at the character of Elisha and we've called it Extraordinary. And I don't think it's coincidental that today we say carpe diem, seize the day, make your lives more extraordinary or make something extraordinary of your lives. We have seen through this series what an amazing man of God Elisha was and also how it was a bit nuts. Okay, he did crazy, strange things. We've also seen how he clearly enjoyed quality time and a focus on God. And actually, that is the source of the amazing, extraordinary life he has, his amazing time and focus on God. So if nothing else from this series on Elisha, we could say that and leave it there, that his reason his life is extraordinary is because of the time and focus he had on God. Wasn't always easy. Got called baldy. We read that, didn't we? He got called all sorts of names. He was attacked. He was threatened. And actually, God used him in amazing ways. And today, we see the final episode in his life and death where God remains extraordinary. So, without further ado, we're going to read most of this chapter this morning. So, we're going to read it in part. So, if you've got your Bibles, it's 2 Kings chapter 13. And we're going to read verses 1 to 9 for some background to this final instalment, okay? So 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 1 to 9 say this. In the 23rd year of Joash, son of Ahaziah, king of Judah, Jehoahaz, son of Jehu, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 17 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord by following the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he, caused Israel, which he had caused Israel to commit, and he did not turn away from them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel, and for a long time he kept them under the power of Hazael, king of Aram. Do you remember Aram last week that Elisha had rescued them from? Well, they're back under the threat of Aram again. And Ben-Hadad, his son. Then Jehoahaz sought the Lord's favour, and the Lord listened to him, for he saw how severely the king of Aram was oppressing Israel. The Lord provided a deliverer for Israel, and they escaped from the power of Aram, so the Israelites lived in their own homes as they did before. But they did not turn away from the sins of the house of Jeroboam, which he had caused Israel to commit. They continued in them. 
Also, the Asherah pole remained standing in Samaria. Nothing had been left of the army of Jehoahaz except 50 horsemen, 10 chariots, and 10,000 foot soldiers. For the king of Aram had destroyed the rest and made them like the dust at threshing time. As for the other events of the reign of Jehoahaz, all he did and his achievements, are they not written in the book of the annals of the king of Israel? Jehoahaz rested with his ancestors and was buried in Samaria, and Jehoahash, his son, succeeded him as king. Okay, I'm quite impressed that I managed to get through that. Now, um, it's a bit like she sells seashells on the seashore, because there's that many names. As I read it, it reminded me a little bit that sometimes I accidentally call Roz my wife, Ruth. Okay, now I have got some mitigating circumstances. My sister is called Ruth. And I spent at least the first 18 years of my life before I really knew Roz saying the word Ruth as somebody that I cared about. Now, obviously, Roz has said, if anything ever dodgy happens, she's going to look for somebody called Ruth. But I sometimes call her Ruth. Now, I want to give this a little bit more background because actually this verse we've just read feels like a conversation with my sister. Because in my family, we have this. She'll start a conversation with me, and we have lots of nephews whose names start with the J sound. So before she gets to Johnny, or Jonathan, if she's being posh, she'll go through Joseph, her middle son, Jacob, her other nephew, George, my dad, before she gets to Jonathan. Because they sound the same, they've got that same letter name, and if you're used to saying something, that's the way it is. But I want to point out, for those of you who've just listened to those nine verses and gone zone out, zone out, turn off, I'm not interested, there's two headline names. First one, Jehoahaz. Everyone say Jehoahaz. If you sat watching at home, say the name Jehoahaz. Yeah? And Jehoash. Say Jehoash. Okay, father and son, Jehoahaz and Jehoash. At first glance, this is one of those passages of the Bible that if you're reading a huge chunk and you're like me, you'll just scan over it. Yeah? List of names. Oof. Not bothered plowing through that one, thank you very much. I want to get to the meat of the action. I want to get to something exciting like slings and stones and walls falling down. Don't want to read a list of names. But actually, if we don't read this passage, we could miss some crucial information. And actually, you miss out on the whole story of the Bible in these verses. Did anyone spot it? No? The whole story of the Bible is in those nine verses. And all of you have just admitted that you weren't listening. And I'm not going to read them again. I'm not going to make you stay behind. But let me explain this. Jehoahaz did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He went the wrong way, continually chose to go against God. But he turned to seek the Lord's favor. Even though he was doing evil and even in the wrong place, he recognized that God was God. And so he sought the Lord's favor. And the Lord listened. God listens to us, whoever we are, wherever we are. God is longing for a relationship with you. Despite Jehoahaz doing evil, God still listened, mainly because he was aware of the mistreatment of his people. God listened. But it doesn't just stop there. Verse 5, right out of the gates, Paul, just put verse 5 on the screen if you can, says this. The Lord provided a deliverer for Israel, and they escaped. That's the whole story of the Bible, right there. The Lord provided a deliverer. Before we do anything else this morning, Jesus was provided by God 
to deliver us, to deliver us, to save us, to rescue us. The Lord provided deliverance. If you just scan through this list of names, you miss it. The fact that this king who was evil can be saved. The fact that these nations who weren't doing what God wanted can be turned back to God. It's amazing, isn't it? It don't look very amazed, but anyway. But also through this whole chapter, there is the story of God's grace and compassion. If I scan right down to the bottom, it says this. Um, where are we? Let me get my, I'm on the wrong, wrong bit here. But if we scan right down to the bottom of that passage, it says this. It says these words, if I can actually find them. This is where a real Bible is really helpful sometimes. Okay, 2 Kings 13, go. iPad, go. Right, okay. At the bottom of that chapter, it says this. It says that verse... I'll get there in a minute. There, verse 23, but the Lord was gracious to them and had compassion and showed concern for them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is compassionate and gracious because of his promises. He's gracious. We've sung this morning. This is amazing grace. We're not talking about Grace Hetherington, although she's quite incredible. We're talking about God's grace, God's goodness, God's riches at Christ's expense, what God gives without us deserving it. I could stop there, and some of you are thinking, I wish you would, Johnny. But that is what it's all about this morning. However, however, maybe this tells us the story of our lives this morning. Verse 6, after it says the Lord provided a rescuer, verse 6 says this, they did not turn away from the sins and idol worship. Even though God had provided a solution, provided an escape, they didn't turn from the stuff that was wrong. They kept worshipping the idol. They wanted rescue from the crisis, but not from the sin. A bit like the ambulance call last week, we said. They wanted rescue from the suffering, but not the actual problem of sin. They still wanted self at the heart of everything. They wanted to escape the consequences of their actions, but still be able to live with themselves right at the centre. Does that sound like us? A little bit. Some of us more so than others. Enter... Jehoash, 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 10 to 11. In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoash, <laughs> it's really hard this, isn't it? It gets easier, honest. Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 16 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He continued in them. They kept going down the same stupid path. How much is that like us? We keep going down the same daft path. We want God in our lives and we say on a Sunday, yes, amazing grace, yes, God, we love you, and then continue down this path that actually is no good for us. It's no good for us. That's the story of Elisha. He didn't go down that wrong path. He went down the right way in his time with God and his focus on God was second to not. They wanted him to be the king, but not their king. Jehoash was the king of God's people, but he wasn't allowing God to reign in him. He was the king of God's people, but not allowing God to reign. Now, we come to Elisha. Hopefully now we've got over the list of names and we can crack on. Verse 14 says this, Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Newsflash, God's people do get ill and die. We do. This, the only promise God has is eternal life. 
eternal life with him. God's promise isn't that you'll be healed, 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 healed. God's promise is that ultimately you'll be healed because you'll have a new body and all the rest of it. We've got Adam's funeral tomorrow. Now, I know three things about Adam that, he, that he's told Karen and that Karen told me. One is he wants to ride his bike again. Well, he'll have a new body now. Another is that he wants to have a wheel up against a wall because he couldn't do that, but that's all you need to know because actually, because he couldn't do that and actually his body is renewed because he is new, he's made a new creation in Christ. He is God's person. Elisha gets sick. Jehoash goes down fearful because he thinks losing Elisha is gonna lose God. His focus isn't on the God that he should worship. His focus is on the man of God that he should follow the example of. You get that? I can't do anything for you. I can point you to a savior. I can point you to a father. I can point you to somebody who can sort life out, might still have problems, but will sort out your peace and your joy and your hope far more than I could ever do. So if you're relying on Johnny Harrison this morning, please leave now. I'll give you 30 seconds. That's good. I can only point you there. Jehoash goes down and weeps because he's worried that losing Elisha is losing God. God is still there. But it's a personal relationship. It's a personal thing. It's not relying on somebody else to do it. Jill, you all right? It was, it was, it was <laughs> just oof, for a minute there. I thought, Jill, you were guy, you'll have to have a word. Okay. Jehoash, sorry, I didn't mean to embarrass you. Jehoash is treating Elisha like some lucky mascot. Do you remember Blockbusters? Do you remember that? They always used to have a little mascot sat on the little desk to give them luck. The king is using Elisha like a little good luck charm, going, well, if we've got Elisha, we'll be okay because he sorted us out in the past. If you've got God, then that's the most important thing. And today we can have God through Jesus Christ, his son, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. But if Elisha dies, maybe he's thinking I'll lose God's favor. So he weeps. He's not weeping for his sin or the stuff that he's doing wrong. He's weeping because he's thinking, oh no, my connection with God's gone. No, it hasn't. He's just choosing to connect to the wrong things. He's choosing to connect consistently to the wrong stuff. He doesn't recognize God as Lord. But before Elisha dies, we see a final scene, a scene where he is challenging the king to finally seize the day, to finally say, carpe diem, make your life extraordinary. We see this scene, and again, it's a weird one. 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 15 to 17. Elisha said, Get a bow and some arrows. And he did so. Take the bow in your hands, he said to the king of Israel. When he had taken it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, he said. And he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said. And he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Elisha tells him to shoot an arrow out of a window and then said, that's the Lord's arrow of victory. You might be thinking, that's a bit weird, which you'd be right to. However, we have some weird traditions. Anyone here have some weird traditions in their house and family? No? All of you quite normal? Anyone do Christmas Eve pyjamas? Yeah, yeah, we do Christmas Eve pyjamas. Okay, I regularly wear my uh, Marvel superhero ones these days too. Thank you very much. We have Christmas Eve Anyone have a weird tradition, you know? 
Maybe you play football, you put one sock on before the other. Do you do that, Sean? One sock over, okay. Or you see these footballers who do this funny hop onto the pitch because they think if they do that, they're going to win. They don't play for Liverpool at the minute. But anyway, <laughs> that's what they're thinking. If they do a tradition, that's what they're going to do. But actually, the tradition isn't the point. But what you need to recognise is that to fire an arrow or throw a spear towards the nation who stood against you was signifying the beginning of you starting to, to beat them, starting to attack them. That was the signal of the beginning of a war. Okay, so Elisha says to him, fire your arrow towards the east where Aram is. And then he says, this is a word of prophecy, if you like. God's going to give you victory over the Arameans. Just remember that. So Elisha does this. We have Lord providing a rescue for his people to escape. Now we see a promise of victory to come. Can you see how this is the whole Bible story in one chapter? Yeah? The providing of a rescuer and the promise of victory. That's what the Bible's all about. But there's more. 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 18 to 19 say this. Then he said, take the arrows. So he's already fired one. And Elisha said, this is going to give you victory over Aram. So take the rest of the arrows. He probably had lots of arrows. He was the king. And the king told, took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. Now, when you read that, many of us are thinking he's grabbed the arrows and like a toddler, he's gone mm, on the floor, okay? No, 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 no. Striking the ground was just another word for shoot because actually when you shoot it into nothing, it strikes the ground, okay? You with me? So he says, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. It's key, this. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. You'd have been free. You'd have escaped from their oppression. You'd have got out of it if you'd have just persevered. Why did you just stop at three? But now you will only defeat it three times. So can you see the link there? Fire this arrow. That's God's victory. You fire it some more, you'll have greater victory. Well, just as one, two, three. That's your lot. Thank you very much apathetic carpe diem seize the day make something extraordinary out of your life that was Elisha's message to everybody really make something extraordinary because we have an extraordinary God but this is where half-hearted following of God and his word just doesn't cut it Andy shared how he was obedient to what God called he's not been half-hearted about it have you Andy <laughs> he's been full on he's been all in and what has he seen he's seen new life spring up in a place where it was difficult. He's seen a place where people have been provided for, where previously things were being stolen from them. He's seen a place where there's a lot more joy and freedom. I'm right, aren't I, Andy? That's the place he's seen. Because he wasn't half-hearted in his obedience to what God asked him to do. You know, my favourite image of Michelangelo's, not that I've got lots of them, is a painting on the Sistine Chapel roof. I think you should have it on the email, I think. I didn't check, but here you go. This is one of the most famous paintings that Michelangelo did, and it's called The Creation of Adam. And the reason I like it, I've mentioned this before, so if you've come to Spin Mount for a long time, it's a really good illustration for what we've just read. Because look at God in that picture. What is God doing? He is striving. He is reaching out, desperate to connect with mankind. Desperate to connect with you in Barrow in 2022. God is desperately reaching and saying, come on, 
I've told you what it's all about. I've shown you what it's all about. Stop going back to that way of the way of life. Stop going back to where you were. And what's Adam doing? Apologies for the uh, X-rated nature of the picture. Okay, what's Adam doing? What's he doing? He's just sitting back. He's looking like me watching the telly, although I usually have more clothes on. Okay. The, the muscle's about the same, obviously. But he's just sitting back. He cannot be bothered. And can you see, if you look really, really closely, their fingers are not touching. There is the tiniest sliver of light between God's finger and Adam's finger. All Adam has to do to connect with his God is literally lift a finger. Literally. But he's apathetic. He's not that bothered. He can see God. He knows God's there. And God is saying, I need, you know, you need me, Adam. You need me. So I'm going to come. I'm going to bring a rescue. I'm going I'm to come and I'm going to touch your life. But Adam just goes, come on then. Can you see that? That is the attitude of the king of Israel. In this moment, Elisha says, do you want victory? And he goes, that's stormtroopers. Twang, twang, twang. Yeah? He can't be bothered. Let me ask you and let me ask myself this morning. That picture of God has not changed. God is desperate for a connection with you, not because he needs you, because you need him. And he knows that he has the best way. He knows that he has got. We've just sung Christ is enough. And yet we're often sitting there like this. Can't really be bothered. That's like Jehoash. He says, strike the ground. He fires three times. And he doesn't seize the day. He doesn't carpe diem. He doesn't go for the extraordinary because he just thinks, well, I'm the king. Well, I've got Elisha. Well, God's got us through it before. And he can't be bothered. The shooting of the arrows is about pressing into God's promises. It's very much linked to seeking God's victory, not ours. His battles and wins. I want to read you some of these things. Shooting the arrows required effort and aim. Shooting the arrows required instruction and help from the prophet of God. Shooting the arrows had to be done through an open window. There was an opening for these arrows to be shot. Shooting the arrows had to be done without knowing the exact outcome ahead of time. The target was only fully known by faith. The king didn't know what he was doing. He was just obedient. Just wasn't completely obedient. Shooting the arrows had its strategic moment, and when that moment had passed, it was gone. That's a scary thought. Shooting the arrows had a moment's opportunity. Shooting the arrows was ineffective because it was not repeated enough, reflecting a lack of confidence in the process and the person. And failing to shoot the arrows hurt others, not just himself. Let's think of those arrows as prayer. 
Let's think of those arrows as our prayer life. Let's think of those arrows as the opportunity to spend time with God. Let's think of those arrows as an opportunity to serve him and be obedient to him. Let's think of those arrows as simply, you know, the Bible says, do not give up meeting together. There's a simple instruction. <laughs> shooting those arrows required those. Keeping shooting and persevering is important. Don't just take the initial victory, but press in to what you need for the road ahead. I can remember in, this, in our old building, praying for somebody for a week and they said, if, if God comes through on this, I'll come to church. Do you know what? They never did. And yet there was healing because they've not pressed into the promise of God. They've missed out. They've not pressed into the promises of God. So keep shooting in the battle against sin. Keep shooting in the attainment of Christian knowledge. Keep shooting in faith. Keep shooting to do more. Keep shooting because the world, the flesh and the devil will not stop their shooting at you. They will not stop their shooting at you. And yet we often are apathetic. Maybe we make excuses for stopping. Does this sound like us? I stopped shooting because I didn't want to presume and ask for too much. I stopped shooting because I'm not a very good archer. Often we say that, don't we? I'm not very good at praying or I don't read. Yet we'll read the Lord of the Rings and not the Bible. Okay? I stopped shooting because Elisha didn't help me more. I stopped shooting because I thought three was enough. I stopped shooting because I didn't think it would do any good. I stopped shooting because I wasn't really in a shooting mood. I didn't really feel like shooting. I stopped shooting because actually I didn't want to get overexcited. Don't know what sort of excuse that is. Do you know, what is stopping us from connecting to God more and more? Is it just lifting a finger to do it? Is it just worried about other things? 2 Kings 13 verse 20 to 21 says this, because we see finally that Elisha wasn't just extraordinary in life, but he continued to be extraordinary in death. 2 Kings 13 verses 20 to 21 says this, Elisha died and was buried. That's the epitaph. <laughs> Elisha died and was buried, end now, Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring, and once, while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. I'm guessing these Moabites were cruel and would probably have stolen the man's body, and these men wouldn't have given him the correct burial they wanted to give. They threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. Can you imagine if that happened today, we'd end up with landfill of people going, right, I'm going, geez, hoping and wishing. This was a moment thing. This was just a reminder to Israel that God's presence wasn't because of Elisha being alive. God's presence wasn't because Elisha was the man. Elisha was a man. God's presence was just there. We've just got to grab it and hold it and shoot for it and say, God, I want more to lift our fingers, to connect, to connect to the God who is striving and desperate to connect with us. Yeah? So in this one moment, these men see a miracle and a reminder that it wasn't about Elisha. Even Elisha wasn't about Elisha. It was about God. God's power, God's presence, God's peace. And it, Elisha showed a life that could be had if our shooting of our arrows is persistent, consistent, and in the right direction. Elisha is extraordinary even when he wasn't breathing because it's God that's extraordinary. 
it's God that's extraordinary. It's God that's extraordinary. I'm just saying it to all three of you. Do you know what would be really easy if everyone sat in this middle bit? Then I could just look there. But anyway, okay. So let's look again at that chapter. The Lord provided a rescuer, Jesus. The Lord promises victory because he brings life out of death. Because Jesus defeated. But this isn't a pilgrimage site that's done. Death wasn't to be feared. Because God says there's more. God says there's more. This morning, we have a rescuer. His name is Jesus. He came that we might live. He came that we might be forgiven. He came that we might be made made new. This morning, the window is open. Are you going to shoot towards Jesus and say, yeah, I'm claiming that? Because that window will close eventually. There will come a day where you won't be able to seize the day. There will come a time where actually the opportunity is gone. But you've heard about it. Andy heard about this orphanage. He was obedient. This morning, God is offering you the chance of eternity. Not just the chance of a lifetime. The chance of eternity The promise of God is always fulfilled. God's promise is life everlasting. God's promise is life to the full. God's promise is peace that passes understanding. God's promise is joy even in your circumstances. God's promise is life, 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 life. And just to prove that God's promises are true, the chapter finishes with this, verse 25. Then Jehoash, son of Jehoahaz, captured from Ben-Hadad, son of Haziel, the towns he had taken in battle from his father Jehoahaz. Three times Jehoahaz defeated him, and so he recovered the Israelite towns. What was the promise of victory? To keep pressing in. He only won three times. Later on, we see they come back and they destroy because he didn't fully obey. Elisha was extraordinary, not because of anything he did, but because of God. He seized the day, or should we say he seized hold of his Lord. This morning, you can seize hold of my Lord, because I'm nothing special. Ros lives with me, she'll tell you. But God is special. God is precious. God is Father. God is all of those things. Elisha was extraordinary. So today is the day. Carpe diem. Seize the day. And make something extraordinary out of life. Grab as many arrows as you can this morning, metaphorically, please. And aim high. Aim true. And keep aiming for his way not ours. Let's pray. Father God, I I thank you for this man that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. I thank you for the fact that his life was full of extraordinary situations. And Father, as we've read it, we recognise that it is due to the fact that you were king, that you were worshipped, that you were adored. Father God, help us seize today 
and every day is an opportunity to make something extraordinary out of life because you're at the center. Father, may we not turn to you in a crisis and then keep turning back to the old ways, keep turning back to the things you've already said are not going to do us good. But let us turn and face the sun. Let us turn and seize the day to grab hold of Jesus as Savior. If we don't know how to do it, Father God, give us the confidence to ask somebody and help us to know that you long to dwell in our hearts. You long to walk with us day by day. So Father God, I thank you that you're extraordinary and that you love me and that you sent Jesus to rescue me. In your name, amen.